0: Uh, we, we travel with the general knowledge that, that that Jesus is King of Kings, that God is above all, right? We that's just that's just understood. The question is like, I have two questions. How far above? And what kind of power? Right? We tend to think, okay, we have this king, we have this Jesus, that's above all other powers. And it's just a more powerful form of the same kinds of powers. And and Paul's going to tell us that's where we get in trouble, first of all, is where we, we think the power of God is like the powers we are familiar with. And then we tend to think he's a little more powerful. Honestly, if you think about life and you think about how often, and we'll talk about this, if it, if it doesn't make if you don't get application right away, just stand by. The, the reason that we would subject ourselves to other powers and hitch our, our car to other powerful trains or uh, listen to other powerful things is because we think it's not that much different. If we understood or, or even felt or experienced that God's power for our life is thousands of times more powerful than any other power, that, then it would it'd be dumb to do anything else. But our very, our very lives, mine included, reflects on a daily basis this sort of debate as to whether or not that power, God's power is enough. And I think sometimes we give up on the power of God because we keep thinking it's going to look like the powers we're familiar with. Because it's so different. We don't don't embrace it because we don't understand it's not like the powers that we know. But when we do embrace it, when we do lean into the, the stream of God, the power of God, when we do live our lives in alignment with Him and in His Son, Something happens in the human condition that can happen in no other way. The powers of this world tend to say, usually because they're trying to get something else on the side, that if you follow me, if you do this, if you do that, then life is going to be better. You're going to flourish I have the power, I have the knowledge. Someone is saying we have what it takes to make you powerful and to make the world a better place, but they don't. Only God, only God can actually cause humanity to flourish. Every other alternative works in the opposite direction. We have been duped into thinking that the other powers of the world, the other accesses that we have to get what we want and to go where we want and to do what we think is best for the world, we have been duped into thinking they're pretty good, but they're not. They aren't helping. God wants to do something beyond what any other power can accomplish. This very building Our our situation in life as a church is a testimony to the power of God. (laughs) I'm not saying that because that's cool to say. I'm saying that because I have no other explanation, which is exactly where we want it to be. We have always said as a church, it doesn't make any sense for us to get somewhere as a church that we can get to on our own. If, if, if one of our ultimate aims as a church is to be a testimony to the power of God, how on earth would that happen if where we are can be done and has been done by us? You know that most church bodies of the size that we are at this point are beginning to think about having a permanent location, raising the funds to have a building. A 250-person church can normally find their way into uh, a 25,000-square-foot or 40,000-square-foot place. This body of about 250 people in the midst of COVID is on the verge of 100,000 square feet of building in two locations with two and a half million dollars worth of equity in them. I think the Columbus Dispatch should be knocking down our door asking, what are y'all doing? And it's not just us, us. God has moved through this church, through you, and created a footprint print in this city that is as big as I've dreamed about, but bigger than I ever thought would happen. The list of partners and friends and associates that have used the current hub is 20, 25, 30, even 40 long. I got a call from Steve Lindsay uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, the Lindsay family owned this building. Put it on the market for four million when I first talked to him. He offered it to us for three, and we did a fundraiser back in 2021. And we didn't get where we needed to get to, so we had to pass. It was heartbreaking. Six weeks later, he called me and said, "All right, I'll do it for two." And now here we are. just a uh, Hundred thousand, hundred and seventeen thousand dollars away from having everything we need to uh, to renovate it. Now that we purchased it, and, and we'll be able to finish it. We can do it. We'll do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna finish. Jeff, we're gonna finish, right? We're finishing. Jeff, just building it. <laughs> just general contractor. Ron, we we still good? Is Ron still alive? There he is. Good. <laughs> Ron, there's there's a handful of people that have have um, made this possible. There, there, there's, there's good work that we do. You've made sacrifices. You've, you've, you've answered the call to, to give uh, on a, just on a good and faithful cadence to, to keep operations where, where we need them. And you've made significant sacrifices to do the things we need to do this building. But it, it is only explainable. Well, I actually, we say some things just aren't explainable. We do our part. What's within our power, but it doesn't compare to what God is able to accomplish. And we're just this close. We, we thought we were going to be in trouble. We, we had our plans submitted, and they send them through. They always give those to an OCD person to go through and see every single thing that's wrong with a fine-tooth comb. And they fed back us to, to a correction letter, which is a normal process. And there were three issues that, of the ten that Honestly, seemed insurmountable when they first brought him up, and just a week and a half ago, uh, uh, the team sat with the city of Dublin, their building engineers, and their building uh, supervisor, and all that. And making a long story short, essentially said, "You're not going to have any trouble with those three things. With what you've done, you're going to be you're going to be fine. We'll resubmit next week, and we'll." get the final sign off on that, but they're the ones that do it. So they're either lying to us right now, which I know they're not, but very sincere. It's been a wonderful experience. But even that, it, it, I look at it I think, I can't explain that. Have you ever worked with Dublin? I love Dublin. I love it. It's been good to us. My wife and I both work in Dublin. We live on the other side of town. But we, Dublin's a phenomenal face, place, but if you talk to anybody that's had to get anything done, it's like, oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> wonderful people, but they have a process that is challenging. And for them to say, it's going to be fine. That's good. You got it. You're good. It's unexplainable. God's up to something with us. And we get to the end of the year and and we arrive in two buildings. You know what? It's just getting started. The church is continuing to be in decline. The, The next generations and the younger folks and even many of our own generation have drifted away. I want them back. I want them back. We're going we're to we're begin to reach again for those that have drifted away. In some cases, for good reason. We have the good news. We have the gospel. Sometimes it isn't all that good the way we communicate it. If it's good, if it's good, people will respond you're good. I know you're good. I think God's got something in store. Otherwise he wouldn't be getting us where he's getting us to. Two buildings is not an arrival. It's a beginning. It's a platform. It's coming, but we can see the power of God and we are where we had always prayed to be somewhere. We could not get on ourselves by ourselves. It's a beautiful place. We're on track to finish renovations by the end of the year, maybe occupancy in January. Uh, Like I said, your giving has continued to climb toward our weekly goal, we appreciate that. Your faithfulness is your primary mode of helping in that space. Um, A a handful of others have leaned into this need for capital and we're close on that as well. Uh, We continue to cut expenses across the board. There isn't one category of our budget that has not been affected in order to try to make sure our expenses come in below the income that we have. Um, We are willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary, and we are are on track and sitting in the center of uh, God's will as best we can understand it right now. Thank you, church, for being faithful and beautiful and good. We're looking at Ephesians, like uh, Adam said, And uh, we we call the series, The Ins and Outs of Jesus. And And if you're my family and friends from Pittsburgh, it's like the ins and outs. Ins and outs of Jesus. Paul's writing a letter to the thriving church in Ephesus, the epicenter, or at least one of the centers of secular world religion. His letter is profoundly influential, not only to that church, but reaching all the way through thousands of years to us, touching a trillion people. More than any other literary giant, Paul's little simple letters have changed the world. If only the world could see it. If only we had a control group, like A Wonderful Life. If we could see the world 2,000 years later, if Jesus never showed up, the whole world would be shocked at how we are following him unknowingly and at the same time is often distancing ourselves from him. It's crazy. It's heartbreaking. He changed the world and we don't see it. At least most of the world doesn't see it. If only the world could see the correlation of the decades of a departure from God and the arrival of the mental, emotional health epidemic, that would be a starting point. But the world is blind. It doesn't see. As it should, only Jesus can bring about open eyes and see what life is and how it works. We listen to Paul, uh, his poem. He wrote a poem at the beginning to capture the idea of being in him, in Christ. It starts like this. It says uh, in Ephesians 1, verse 4, or 5, it says this, he chose us. He chose us. Who's he talking to there? He chose us. He's talking to Jewish, the Jewish people. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight In love. He predestined us for adoption. Now, the Jews are with him up to that point. That makes total sense. They're the people of God. They've always been the people of God. If you're born into that faith, you are born into being the people of God. And then he throws in the through Jesus piece, which is confusing. He says, yes, you've been predestined before creation. It's a prehistoric uh, inference of God that comes true through Jesus. Whoa, I thought we were... And then he says, and you also, non-Jews, most of us in the room, were included in Christ. Again, the reference to Christ, this pathway is Jesus. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, we'll get back to that, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. God has this prehistoric plan of adoption, this this before creation, movement, expectation, imagination for the restoration of the fallen humanity, person by person, before time. And he's saying, Paul's saying, it just came to be. From before time where this started, it just happened. This group is is looking back no more than 15, 20 years to to the story of Jesus, the actuality of his life and death and and raised to new life. And he's saying this prehistoric promise, this this pre-creation idea just came to fruition. And Jews and non-Jews alike are now children of God. He puts them into two groups. Us, the Jews, he says, and those are, this group is, they thought they already were the children of God. And he say, no, actually, you, you just became the actual children of God in Jesus. You, you don't get into God's family apart from Jesus. So this group is adapting. Oh, <laughs> okay. And then those who never stood a chance to be a part of God's family. Because beforehand, if if you weren't born into that or went through some seriously difficult rituals to get in, you never could get in. Paul's saying, those of you that thought you're in, you're actually in, in Jesus. Those of you thought you would never get in, again, in Jesus, are in. All of us. When you believed. The whole story... Of Jesus. The whole story of humanity coming back to life, being restored toward this end of the world that was always supposed to be, is a story of trust. It's a story of trust. Most people travel with the idea that the connection point with God is faith, right? As much as we generally know, God is above all other powers. He is the King of kings. Jesus is, everything is under his authority. We also know if we're talking about faith, we're talking about God. If you were to ask somebody, do you have faith? Do you have a faith? And they say, yes. What are they saying? There's a God. I have, I have a God orientation. I, I have a faith. That's what we typically think of. You might think of a little more practical if someone says, uh, yes, I, I am faithful. I have, I have a faith, you might imagine that they have particular attitudes and behaviors and patterns that they've adopted, religion, church, things like that, right? That, that I, I'm, I'm a person of faith. You can make some of those assumptions. But God's relationship with humanity is, is better described as trust, It's what faith means, but this trust word, I think, is is easier to grab onto. One that trusts God such that they think and do according to Him. To trust God is not just a belief in God. It translates into a life of actions and attitudes in perfect alignment with God. We've talked about the discipleship flywheel. The way we grow and advance is that we hear God, we listen, and then we do, and then we help someone else hear and do. You don't ever do what someone tells you to do normally unless you trust them, particularly if they're asking you to do something that is different than what you feel strongly about. To trust God means to read his word, to hear from his spirit, to enter in prayerfully to immerse yourself in who he is and who he's displayed himself to be in Jesus and in all that we understand together as a community to do it. And why would we do it? Particularly when it doesn't seem like it's right because we trust him. When you don't trust, you don't do. It's a trust story. It's the age-old illustration of the man who walks across a tightrope across the Grand Canyon with a wheelbarrow. And everybody's cheering for him. He can do it. He says, do you think I can put a bunch of rocks in this and take it over? Yes, we totally think you can do that. And he does it. And he comes back and says, do you think I could take a person across? Yes. Who's in? It seems like we trust him, but we don't trust him. And how do you trust that man? You get in the wheelbarrow. The story of God's flourishing of humanity through his son Jesus is an issue of trust. It's an actual affront to God not to be trusted. He says to his people and always has says, to, since the very beginning, Adam and Eve, got two trees here, this one you eat from, this one you don't eat from, trust me on this. Did they? No. All through the Old Testament, all the, trust me, live this way. Did they? Kind of, up and down. Anybody relate to that? Trust, don't trust? But God says, Jesus, says, you have to trust me completely if you want to be restored to God. I'm sharing the gospel with you right now. You have to trust completely. Jesus says, you have to be better in your trusting than the Pharisees. Do you know how, the Pharisees, you know how good the Pharisees were at it? Like 100%. No one was better. How are you going to get better than that? How are you going to get better than doing exactly everything to the, down to the jot and tittle of what we are supposed to do. How do you get better than that? And Jesus says, I'll tell you. It's what's going on in your heart. Remember, he said, they're doing everything right, but their hearts are wrong. I want this trust to go down into your heart. He says, I don't, read the sermon on the mount." He says, I don't even want you to be angry. I don't want you to just not hit somebody or murder somebody. Jesus, it's been said, do not murder. Yes, do not murder. But I say, Jesus says, Do not be angry in your heart. What do you do with that? How do you even do that? Jesus doesn't teach, it's been said, thou shalt not murder, and also, don't let your anger show. That's what we think Christianity normally means. Jesus says, don't express your anger. No, he does not. It's deeper than that. He says, I don't want you to be angry in your heart. If you're angry in your heart, you don't trust me. How do you deal with that? How are we going to trust Jesus enough? How are we going to trust God enough to repair our relationship with him? Can we? No. Only one person ever has trusted God completely. Jesus. Read Philippians 2. He did it. He trusted him completely, even to death, as a 33-year-old. Who, who can do that? He is just getting going. Like, his career is just taking off. 33. What would you and I do? Hey, can you just give me a couple more years? To just? I haven't even been married. Jesus, I'm not even married yet. I want to have some kids. Sure he did. That's not what God was asking him to do. He says, I need you to lay your life down now. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Jesus do? Really? Now? Must I? Is there any other way? No. Trust me. And he does. Jesus the only one who ever and forever trusted God completely, fully, through and through. And now... Person by person has their relationship with God restored forever through his trust, not ours. We still can't trust. Even after you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, we're still doubting God. The most faithful, devout among us doubts God in our heart. Otherwise, we would never have a decision to make. (laughs) But we do. And the decisions are always, can I do a little bit of what I want? (laughs) Why would you do a little bit of what you want if God's way is perfect? But we doubt. And today, each person, and Paul is saying, if you've believed, if you've trusted Jesus as the one who's completely trusted, you are good too. We don't trust in our ability to fully trust. We trust in the trust of Jesus. He ushers us in, He takes us in on His arm. The only people that can go into God's presence are the ones that have trusted Him fully, and that's only Jesus. And that's why He says, I will be with you always, because without Him, we're done. Jesus says, Mike's good. God says, okay. <laughs> if I'm standing there and Jesus isn't there, I'm in trouble. I only get in. I only get a reading. I only get a moment. I only get the time. I o- I'm only in God's face because of him. He's the one who fully trusted. And now we... Trust what he's done, and we're in him. You get it? We are in him. Paul says, Since before time, God looked to and longed for the day when his son would make a way and that you would take it. Before time, he imagined you believing, trusting in his son. He says this to the, the Romans, uh, the Roman church. What then shall we say? This is eight, end of eight. What shall we say in response to these things? Is God for us? Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, who, He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us up, came up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Those whom God has chosen with His Son by those who have believed and chosen His Son. They've been, they're chosen. It is God who justifies you get that? Is it you who justify your ability to be in heaven? No, God justifies them. How? In him. Who then is the one who condemns? Who can condemn you? No one. Why? It's not about you or me. They could condemn you. They say, you don't deserve to be in heaven. and You go, I know. I don't. Remember Alistair Begg talking about the guy on the cross the either side of Jesus who Jesus invited into heaven that day, didn't do any classes, didn't do any certain prayers. He talks about how that, when that guy shows up in heaven and they ask, how are you here? He says, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. We trust him. No one can condemn us. No one, Christ Jesus who died, More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What's he talking about here? Are any of the powers of this world able to separate us from the love of Christ? They shouldn't be able to, but they tempt us on a daily basis. That's where we're going next. That's why this whole power thing is front and center for us right now. But Paul says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors for those f- through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. These powers have no more power because of him. Because of him, there is no more condemnation. I don't have to prove anything anymore. I, I need have no fears about my health, about my financial situation, about my kids, about my career. I need to have no fears. There is no condemnation. I don't need to prove anything. Your eternity is secure. Live it out, man, live it out. There's no condemnation. He says, I'm convinced. Paul is convinced. He understands deeply what Jesus has done. like He never has before. I am convinced that neither death nor life have any power. It doesn't, it doesn't compare. The powers of this world are far below the powers of God in Christ. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Anybody afraid of the future? Anybody belittled and deranged and, and discouraged because of the past? He's saying, no, none of this has any power of us anymore. And then he summarizes nor any powers. He just cuts the chase. He's going to make a long list or just say nothing, no powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. You see what he's saying? He's just going nuts here. Is he getting his point across? Nothing. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate. Do you know that? How many of you have an up and down Christian life? You're close to God. You're far from God. You're close from God. You're far from God. Wrong. That's the wrong mindset. I appreciate the honesty. I would say the same thing. But we are not loved by God by our actions, good or bad. Hallelujah. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in him. In Jesus, the one who fully trusted and deserves to be there and is right with God. It is in him that we have all that God gave Jesus. He gives to us because we're in him. And it has nothing to do with our behavior. The mark of spiritual maturity is not that you don't go like this. The mark of spiritual maturity is how fast... When you realize you're not trusting, you come back to what's true about you in him. When you don't, you go through some kind of a weird depression. uh, I mean, like a, you know, downward thing. Depression probably too. And you start working your way back. Antithetical to the gospel. You can't. We've already learned this, you know? Is that hot in here? Is it just me? I love the gospel. <laughs> we need to learn how to have this conversation, number one, without yelling, because that's going to not be great for evangelism. <clears throat> but we need to be able to communicate in simple, clear fashion who we are. Ones that don't deserve to be there, but are in God's hands because of him. I think the best place to to, to start an evangelistic conversation with someone, the most sensational, gripping way to do it is to say, I stand not condemned in God's eyes right now, no matter what I do tomorrow. That's ridiculous. That's gonna start a conversation I'm sinning right now in my heart. You could say, "I'm I'm thinking about something I shouldn't be thinking about." I saw somebody that I'm that I'm dreaming about right now. That's that's inappropriate. In that moment, you can say to that person sitting across from you, "I am not condemned. I'm in Him. I trust Him." That's a good conversation coming right there. It's settled. We are secure in God's love. We're in our certain future. We are free to live without the oppressive, paralyzing, destructive powers of this world in our lives. And this is where we'll go next week. But those powers will try and they will affect us in negative ways. The powers of this world don't come close to measuring up to the powers of God. They are radically different than the powers of God. We need to talk about those things, but we need to know that the powers of this world, they do control us. They have have an impact on us. And we are actually armed with those powers. It's what we grew up with. It's what we are immersed in. And when we have to get something or do something or protect ourselves, we use our normal powers to do it. And they are dark powers and they are antithetical to the power of God. The way God wants to accomplish things is utterly different than the way we tend to accomplish things in this world. And it doesn't make it right if we use the powers of this world to advance kingdom ideas. That doesn't make those powers any less dark. God wants to advance his kingdom. He wants to advance his message. He wants to advance his way in the powers of God that we see displayed and demonstrated in Jesus, and they are the opposite of the powers of this world, and they don't seem like they could or should work at all. I know I'm leaving you hanging. And in my defense, I had three more pages to get into this, but somehow the gospel got a hold of my heart again. So let's leave it at that. Next week, we'll talk about what those powers are. If you're unaware of how you're being influenced by the dark powers of this world, it's going to be shocking to you. It's coming from all angles. We're, like I said, we're subject to them and we're using them. And if we're following Jesus, we have to trust him and allow his power to work through us in radically, radically different ways.